What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario is ready to tell you why he hates your team, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. He doesn't actually hate your team, though, but we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> that's that's debatable. I'm sure there's some I hate. All right. He hates every single one of your teams. <laughs> Before we get started, as usual, though. Our housekeeping notes are as follows. Please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. We can also be found wherever else you're getting your podcasts, whether it's Art19, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, all that good stuff. But iTunes is still the best way to let us know that you are out there, that you are listening, that we are not yelling into the great void. So please search Hardwood Knocks, an NBA podcast, for those who don't know, on iTunes. Throw us that five-star rating. Write a review with whatever you want included. We're always checking those. Definitely, though, subscribe if you haven't already. If you've done all those things, please, recommendations, retweets uh, on Twitter, shout-outs on Twitter, stealing people's phones and subscribing to them to the podcast on their behalf. They'll thank you later. We we promise all that good stuff. Also, subscribe to us on, on YouTube. We're posting all our podcasts there now as well. So smash the like button whenever you see those links come out. But definitely subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have not already follow us on twitter at hardwood knox then go and follow andy on twitter at andrew d bailey you can find me at dan favale f-a-v-a-l-e and be sure to follow the blue wire podcast network on twitter at blue wire pods <laughs> lastly but certainly not least we will shout out our sponsor for today's podcast who you will hear from in just a little bit untuck it stop looking like a slob get shirts that are meant to be worn untucked so that you can look your very, very, very best. Shout out to them for helping out the podcast. Whew. Andy, with all of that out of the way, how are you doing? I am doing great. I'm excited to uh, jump into this wonderful topic that you have uh, uncovered for us. Uh, I don't know if it's wonderful, but we're calling this the We Hate Your Team series. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, we don't actually, well, debatable. Maybe we hate your team, but we're really just going through our concerns, biggest concerns for each squad thus far, beginning with the Western Conference. And fear not, there will be a We Love Your Team series in just a little bit uh, once we wrap up with the Eastern Conference podcast, which will be which will be coming soon. So for anyone who's big mad, don't get too big mad because there will be a We Love Your Team series. Um we are going to go in reverse alphabetical order because that's how we roll here, which means that I start because Andy is a coward and did not pick the Utah Jazz. Does that make you feel, Andy? Um, um, probably accurate. The Jazz, as we record this, they are 8-5. and five. My biggest concern for them is after all the change that they underwent over the offseason, they're still kind of this average half-court offense and you know Mike Conley's had some better moments so you get to the point where you think that he'll play better um you could also argue that Joe Ingles is going to shoot the ball better but uh, when you're looking at what they're kind of doing in the half court uh when when they're playing minutes with just Conley and no Mitchell their their offense has been terrible when they're playing minutes with just uh, Mitchell and No Conley, their offense has, has been bad. And so you would think that with more firepower on this team, just overall looking on paper, that they would be able to navigate those, if you want to call them solo scorer minutes, particularly when you have um, Boya Bogdanovich there. Uh, you also wrote about this, but their their shot profile has been sort of wonky too. It's uh, terrible. <laughs> they're, they're, um, they're fourth in the league in long 
mid-range frequency, I think. Oh, no, I'm reading that wrong. They're, they're 16th, and then they're 10th in all mid-range frequency. Um, they're 23rd in non-corner three-point attempt frequency. They don't get to the rim a bunch. And so I just thought that this team would be better, more consistent, or more bankable on offense. And I think it's it's just worth noting here, too, that um, the half-court offense is so important because this is not going to be a team that's going to to ever live in transition. And so it just makes it that much more important for them to, to execute in the half court. And so that's just been something that stuck out to me in the early going. Yeah. The offense has been a, a big concern. I think everybody rightfully expected that they would be better on that end this year. I think you figure Mike Conley, instead of Ricky Rubio, Boyan Bogdanovich, instead of Derek favors, you're just naturally going to have a better offense. Um, but I think here in the short term, what it's done is just torpedo their shot selection. They were a really smart shot selection team last season. And and you don't have to completely abandon the mid-range, as some people um, like to put. <laughs> I'm trying to think how to, how to say this. Some people say analysts say that. I don't think many do. Um, but Utah was really good at getting corner threes, getting threes in general, getting to the rim, and, and only – finding themselves in the mid-range or that floater zone when they had to be. And now it's like that's their preferred destination on a bunch of these possessions. They'll run pick and rolls with Conley or Mitchell, and it seems like those guys are just dead set on turning the corner and throwing up a floater within you know a second or two of the pick. Um, there, there's not much patience out of the pick and roll. The shot selection is just it, it's bad right now. Um, there's obviously plenty of time for them to get it fixed, but I think you've nailed the the clear big concern for Utah. It's the offense, and they they just need to get back to that smart shot selection they had last season. I get that that's difficult with guys who've done certain things for their entire career. Like Mike Conley is known for that floater, um, even though if you look at his career percentage in that three to ten foot range, it's it hasn't been an efficient shot even for him. Um, Bogdanovich likes the mid range. I, I think at some point. Quinn Snyder's going to have to convince these guys, hey, you're, you know, you're great at what you do, but let me, let me so, show you sort of the higher path here. Um, so hopefully they can figure it out. With the Jazz done, we move on to the San Antonio Spurs, who are also the team that I will be delivering the concern for. The Spurs are 5-9 and nine as we record this. Uh, my pick for them, what has kind of stood out is, I, I think it's really easy to kind of zero in on on the defense because they have they have not been good on that end of the floor. They're 25th in points allowed per 100 possessions. Uh, I was looking at their their crunch time performance as well too while I was doing research for this, and and that surprisingly was uh it was it was really really bad. They are 28th in crunch time defensive rating, 135.2 through 11 appearances, mm. of, of course, only 30 minutes. The only teams with a worse, worse crunch time defensive rating are the Warriors and the Wizards. The Spurs are also 2-7 and seven, uh, in crunch time this season. And so that's something that kind of stood out to me. And they're the worst team when it comes, you know, their shot, their defensive shot profile actually isn't bad, but they're the worst team in the league right now when it comes to protecting the rim. Um, they're they're starting five, both versions that we've seen this season are net minuses on the floor. Uh, and their most, most used fourth quarter lineups, which don't really come as a surprise, are net minuses as well. And so um, I'm sort of left wondering what the solution is for, for this team, because I don't know that it's necessarily on the roster. Uh, you could talk about, you know, maybe they could just be more open to playing like DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan, and Derek White a ton at the same time. But I don't know how much that really helps them either and this is a team you know maybe they'll hit their stride as the season sort of wears on but to see that they've struggled in in closer games and struggled so much defensively this year it just feels like it could end up being I don't want to say their downfall and I'm not yet ready to predict that the Spurs won't make the playoffs but this is certainly a a red flag when you're when you're looking at the start because I don't know how this team gets better defensively overall without making a move, which is something that they traditionally do not do, make a trade in the middle of the season. Well, they need to make a move. Um, Last I checked, the Spurs and the Knicks are the only teams in 538's playoff projections that are at less than 1% chance of getting in. Um, 
I, I think if they continue to try to do the same thing, they're just, they're not going to be good. Uh, they, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this before we came in uh, or before I came in this morning. Can you guess what DeMar DeRozan's career box plus minus is? Oh man. Uh, I don't even get like an over under. Uh, zero. I want to say under. <laughs> Correct. Um, I kind of set that one up. Zero is average. And so for his career, he's minus 0.5. In his 11 seasons, he's had a positive net rating swing, meaning his team has been better with him on the floor than off in one season, one out of 11. Um, he, he's not obviously the entire reason for the concern that you have outlined. Um, but they've, they've got to make, I think, a drastic change. Like you said, they're just not known for that. Uh, but at but at a certain point, it's probably worth it to to try. Um, I think you know it, it sounds like Orlando might have some interest in Demar Derozan. I think there may be two or three teams that could talk themselves into Lamarcus Aldridge. You have to, at the very least, explore these possibilities. If I had to force you to pick whether Demar Derozan finishes the season in a Spurs uniform, what would you say? I'm going to say he does just because trades are always, you know, I guess this summer kind of changed everything, but it does seem like trades are always less likely to happen um, than they are to happen. But, but I think if they're finally going to make a move mid season, a significant move this season, I I think DeRozan and Aldridge, um, they're both possibilities. I don't know if they're good possibilities, but they're possibilities. And I like the young guys on that roster. Excuse me. Um, They have a lot of interesting talent with Derek White and, uh, DeJounte Murray and you know even Lonnie Walker I'm not out on him yet there, there's some interesting stuff there uh, I think they just kind of need to clear the deck of the veterans and let those young guys prove what they can do and um, it, it's just time for a reset in San Antonio crazy to say after all this time but I, I think we're finally there I don't I, I think that's a fair argument I still might look at trying to trade DeMar DeRozan and seeing what if anything you could get for him and then playing out the season as is. I don't know what the the market for LaMarcus Aldridge would be, and I don't know what the value necessarily is in tearing it down probably later in the season too because you have to think that they wouldn't make this call uh, immediately soon. And so when yeah. you have you know teams like the Thunder and the Warriors, maybe the Grizzlies will, will drop off as well, uh, perhaps even the Kings, although they've kind of, the team we're going to talk about next, uh, had this resurgence a little bit. They're, I just don't, I don't know how, how valuable that is to them, but it certainly does uh, seem like they're walking a finer line than we've become accustomed to over the past like century or whatever it is, yeah. two centuries. I wonder if there were, I know we've gone long on the Spurs, but I wonder if there were any teams other than the Spurs who were interested in DeRozan at the time of that Kawhi Leonard trade. Yeah, that really set back their future just because of what like they prioritized in that. Return. Yeah. I mean, they didn't even get Look at what Ananobi's doing this season. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, they didn't get, I think you could have said they didn't get either one of the Toronto's two best prospects. And if you, whatever you yeah. considered Fred Van Fleet at the time. So you could say they didn't get any one of Toronto's any of the three. Three best prospects. Yeah. Very well. I, and I still like portal, but you're right. I, I don't think I'd put him above the other three that we've mentioned. Siakam, Ananobi and, then bleed, but I, I, hope I guess that's revisionist above, history yeah. at this point. Ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. And why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with the holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. As someone who does wear the more than occasional button-down, it does frustrate me to no end when I wear them untucked and they don't look great. They hang too low. They they ride up. I've tried to do the French tuck, the quarter tuck, whatever it is to make it look a little bit better. It still sucks. The untucked shirts, you don't have to deal with such unsightliness. They look good. They're meant to be worn untucked. And so you can wear them with confidence. Don't even really have to check yourself in the mirror to see how they sit because you know they're going to sit just right. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit UntuckIt.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. The Sacramento Kings, though, onto them. They are 
subtly six and seven. It feels like it. It. It's almost. Yeah. It, it almost feels I like they've won four in a row. Yeah, we've talked about kind of their impending doom. Uh, like once this season, and and how De uh, De'Aaron Fox's great three ankle sprain was supposed to kind of, uh, like end their season basically. But like you said, they're on this. I don't know. Is it? Is it four in a row? I didn't. It's four out of four out of five. I just looked it up. Yeah, and so they've won two, what is it, two of three with him or three of four without him, whatever it is. So that's, I mean, that, I think it's three of four without him, if, if I'm correct. But they've been, they've been playing well. My concern for them is, obviously, there's the can they survive the De'Aaron Fox injury? And maybe that concern rings a little bit hollow now. But, you know, you look at, it, and those victories, by the way, weren't against, like, pushovers. They've beaten mm-hmm. Boston and Phoenix, who is really good this season without uh, De'Aaron Fox. And then they played well against the Lakers too in the loss. They only lost by two points. So I think that's a fair concern, but I want just um, I, I, as a spinoff of it is he's just really the only player on this team who gets to the line. They're 30th in, in three free throw attempt rate as we record this. Um, the Dwayne the Dedman struggles too uh, have been weird. He's, he's barely playing at this point, not hitting threes. They're minus 16.4 points per 100 possessions with him on the court. And then this is with De'Aaron Fox having played a good chunk of this season factored in. They're, they're 27th in half-court offensive efficiency. And you can't – I don't think that's going to get better without Fox or stay better forever. Uh, their new starting five has an offensive rating of under 95. Uh they're in the 16th percentile offensively when Kojo plays without De'Aaron Fox. Um, ditto for when uh, Bogdan plays without De'Aaron Fox. Heald and Bogdan have together put these off, made these for these excuse me potent offensive lineups. So there's there's certainly that to consider. And now they're three and one without him. But I, I still just find myself wondering whether it can last. And you know, in the immediate, you think it. It can because their schedule is for the next couple games. As, as you listen to this, you know if you're listening to this on a Friday, they're going to be playing the, the really shorthanded Nets, and then you go after the Wizards, who are the most forgiving defense in the league at this point, yeah. but also sneaky, a fit, sneaky good on offense this year. So I'm just wondering if they can keep this up to kind of make sure that they're in position when De'Aaron Fox comes back to go after that that playoff push we all thought they could possibly make, and what also sort of seemed out of reach even before his injury. Yeah, I I ripped them, ripped them. I wrote them off. We're all uh, we're, we're both messed up today. <laughs> I wrote them off a little bit too soon. I I think they will be in that mix. I don't I don't even know how big that range is at this point. Like six to ten or six to eleven in the West, where there's going to be a bunch of teams with a with a real shot at those last couple spots in the West. I I'm you know obviously Golden State we can write them off despite Alex Alec Burks going off last night. Um, I I know that you're not with me on this, but I think we can write off the Spurs. Um, there was another one. I, I'm going to look it up here real quick. It's usually oh the the Blazers we can write them off too. At least I can. Are you ready to jump off that one too? Oh, excuse me. I had my mute button on. So that uh, if for anyone who's might complain about the audio quality this time, I'm on the road and recording from a closet in which I am shut in right now to try and make this. We need sound. a, we need a like a uh, graphic. There's got to be some movie poster with somebody hiding in a closet. We've got to Photoshop your face onto it. <laughs> we'll have to get on that. Uh, so, yeah. so anyway, I, I don't know that I'm out on the Portland Trailblazers yet because I just. I've I think I've I've gotten to the point where I've doubted them as I as much as I did the Spurs in the past where I've sort of become stubborn and just assumed the Spurs are going to put it together but it's certainly it's rough when you factor in Damian Lillard's back injury and the fact that people read so much into Carmelo Anthony's first game and so yeah. now they're at this point where they I guess need Melo and that's always sort of a like a bad place to be <laughs> Yeah I'm I'm writing off the Spurs Warriors Blazers and I'm on the verge, or the Grizzlies are another one. And then I'm on the verge with the Pelicans. Um, so I guess the rest of the teams I would say are in the mix, and that that includes Sacramento. I don't think I would guess today that they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be in the mix, kind of how they were last season. Um, and hopefully Fox can find what he had at the beginning of last season, and I think then they'll be very very tough. Portland, 
Um, okay, we you just mentioned a team that needs Carmelo Anthony, and what a scary proposition that is. At five and ten, mind you, and fourteen. They're five and ten and fourteenth in the West, mind you, and they need Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, wild. And and now uh, Damian Lillard's dealing with back spasms. Um, if he has to miss a few games here and there, that's. I mean, obviously, that's going to be really, really problematic for them. Here, here are their top, uh, I'll say, 10 guys in minutes played, plus Mello. You tell me if you hear a single consistently good defensive player in this mix. C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, Hassan Whiteside, Rodney Hood, Kent Bazemore, Anthony Simons, Mario Hazonia, Scal Labissiere, Anthony Tolliver, Nasir Little, and like I said, I'll throw in Carmelo Anthony. Um, wow. So that's a lot. <laughs> and, and I kept wait. I, I knew that you weren't going to stop me, but I was given a pause after each one just to be sure. Not, not a single consistently good defensive player in the mix. Their offseason was so confusing to me. Um, for Al Farouk Aminu and Maurice Harkless were such a big part of what they were able to do defensively. Obviously, it hurts to have Nurkic gone, and that was beyond their control. But they swapped out two of their most versatile defenders for guys who just aren't good on that end, and now we're we're seeing the result of that. They're they're just bad. Um, they're a bad team right now. <laughs> um, their defense right now is actually a lot better than I would have thought. Oh, there it is. Okay. They're 20th in defense points allowed. I, I actually thought they would be worse than that. Bottom third is not great, but I thought they'd be worse. And I'll actually um, say, uh, sorry to interject there, that I've no, been... No, go for it. Scala BCA, I thought, has played really well defensively this year. I've been impressed with Nasir Little's uh, energy on the defensive end. And I wasn't, at the beginning of the season, I wasn't low on Anthony Simons in general. Um but it feels like he's gotten, even in the short amount of time, that he's gotten a lot better or at least shown improvement defensively as well. So maybe that that helps contribute to why they're yeah, so bottom five or bottom three. Maybe there are some potential bright spots defensively, um, and, and I think you just pegged all of them. And, and Hassan Whiteside can be good defensively from time to time, but I think every single one of these guys is prone to lapses. And if they're going to have Damian Lillard out for, for chunks of time, they're going to be in big, big. Trouble. So, like I said earlier, I think I think I'm probably ready to cross them off. I mean, they've been such a consistent part of the Western Conference playoff picture for a while. It's kind of weird to say that, but um, I am very, very concerned about that team. I, I don't blame you for for writing them off. Phoenix Suns. Um, they've they've obviously been better than they have in recent years, but they're in a little bit of a slide here. Uh, they're now just a game ahead of the Sacramento Kings after losing to Sacramento last night. They have lost three of four and four of their last six. They're now seven and six. My concern with them, and I actually first ran these numbers before last night's game, um, and they've, they've started to come true a little bit already. I was worried about the sustainability of their three-point shooting. Um, right now, Devin Booker's shooting 50% from three. He's a career 36% shooter. Saric is at 38%. He's a career 36% shooter. Baines is at 44. He's a career 34 uh, Rubio's 34, he's career 32. And when I first ran the numbers, Rubio was at 38. And I just, you know, you know that one's coming down. Um, Javon Carter is at 41. He's a career 35% three-point shooter. And there's a pretty small sample with Carter, so maybe it's not fair to throw him into this bunch. But they were just shooting the lights out in that really hot start of theirs. And I was always a little concerned it was going to come back down to earth. Um, they've got a couple of guys who can actually get better. And, and I, you know, I think Frank Kaminsky's three-point percentage will probably come up. Michael Bridges will probably come up over the course of the season. So maybe there's a little bit of balance there. But a lot of these guys were just shooting, I think, better than, than we should have expected them to. Um, and I, I think we're already starting to see them come back down to earth a little bit. There's certainly an element to that. Uh, maybe their recent slide is owed a little bit more to, you know, Ricky Rubio missed a game. You had Aaron Baines yeah. miss a game, uh, the one against the Kings. I believe, but yeah, I mean, Rubio, you know, during this four game stretch where they lost three of four, uh, he's down to 27.3% three point shooting. Baines is around 36%, which is still good, uh, but certainly mm -hmm. lower than where he was. So Booker's has been 
probably the most consistent of the ones who were hot. He was over 42% during that stretch. Ubre drops to 19%. So I think that's certainly a valid, valid concern for, for them moving, moving forward. If you didn't believe that uh, their, their hot shooting was going to continue at, at that level. I do think that they've showed me enough to put them in that group we mentioned earlier with Sacramento though. Like I, I think they're going to be in the mix for one of the last spot or two in the West for this season. I, I, I think they're that much better. Oklahoma City, kind of hard to find a concern for this team given you know what they are this season. I don't think many people expected them to compete for the playoffs, probably even them included. This is, I would say, a showcase season for their trade assets. Um, so my concern is what kind of value does Chris Paul have at this point. I, I felt like if he came out and averaged close to 20 points, you know, 10 assists, was real efficient, maybe there was some team that could talk themselves into him. And he hasn't been bad. Um, I just, I don't think he's been good enough for some team to say, hey, I want to I pay the rest of that massive contract. Um, <laughs> he's posting the second lowest box plus minus of his career, and it's still good. I mean, he's still, I think it's still a four, which is very, very good. Um, but he's he's averaging a career low in assists. I think a team could probably say, well, they're they're rightfully giving a bunch of responsibility to Shea Gilgis Alexander, and so maybe he'll pass a little bit more with us. Um, I guess the bright spot is he's shooting forty one point one percent from three. Uh, he he hasn't been bad by any means, but I mean it's it's just such a daunting price tag for him at this point. He's in his age thirty four season. He's making, give me one second, he's making $38.5 million this year, 41.4 next season, and 44.2 the season after that. I, I just feel like he would have had to be just ridiculous at the start of the season for some team to uh, swing for that trade, and, and he just hasn't been quite that. I'm interested that you picked that as the concern for them, though, because I don't know that they need to be in a rush to actually move him. And like you said, he's been like, he hasn't been bad. I'm not saying that's really going to up his value, but uh, like he's shooting well from three. He has the highest free throw attempt rate right now um, of his career since I think his rookie season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. His highest free throw attempt rate since his rookie season. Uh, And I don't, he's not so much if, if insofar as they even cared about tanking, he's certainly not ruining it right now because you still have Gallo, yeah. you still have Steven Adams. And so it's going to take more than one piece to steer into the, the full-blown tank. I do wonder if, if maybe this will be a situation where they have to get used to the fact of prioritizing long-term cap relief if they want to move him, where it's, you know, let's say they take all of Miami's longer-term contracts and then they get a 2025 first round pick with minimal protection for their troubles maybe that's the type of deal that they could uh go after with him but i actually am on the in in the camp that while i'll talk about hypothetical trades with him all day i I kind of believe that he's going to end up finishing the season in oklahoma city yeah and i you're i think it's a fair criticism of my criticism. They also have a ton of assets. So it's not like, Oh, we need to add more to that stockpile. But I just don't, as far as the on court product goes with Oklahoma city, I don't know how you really have any concerns because this is just sort of a, let's see what Shea Gilgis Alexander can do type of a season to me. Let's see what he can do. And let's see what Gallinari, Chris Paul and Steven Adams can do for their trade value. I don't know what else you're really looking for from the thunder this season. Well, I think you could make the case that with some of the talent they have, maybe you would hope that they're better than bottom 10 or bottom 7 in offensive efficiency. Uh, I I don't know. I think there's – I just would – Chris Paul's contract to me isn't a concern for the team, but I understand why if you're trying to prioritize the future uh, and your Oklahoma City, why you could view it as a potential detriment just because you're kind of obligated to play him. But I think you say the same about Gallo right now. And so until they steer fully – into this post Westbrook, post Paul George rebuild, um, I might even lean towards that. If you're just not concerned about the encore product, then I just wouldn't be concerned about anything really. Perhaps. Yeah, this is. I'm trying to think of the right analogy for them this season. Just complete ambivalence, um, and I'm sure that's not the way they feel within the organization. But that's just kind of how <laughs> I see it. Uh, the, hey, um, they. Could, I was actually surprised at how bad of a, a rebounding team they are. Uh, so that's maybe something that you could point to. But on to the New Orleans 
Pelicans. And if we didn't mention it, the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder are five and nine, and the Phoenix Suns are seven and six on the season as we record this. And the New Orleans Pelicans, as we record this, they are five and nine. My concern for them is surprise, surprise, uh, their defense. They they are at the moment. Um, excuse me, as I clear my my throat there. Uh, they are twenty third in points allowed per 100 possessions, which is actually a fair improvement over where they were for uh, much of the season. They have not been good when you look at their their shot profile, per se. They allow a ton of looks at the rim, a few too many threes. Opponents are shooting 41%-ish on wide-open threes, so maybe that goes down. Um, they have the worst transition defense in the league right now. Uh, they're they're 25th in defensive rebounding percentage, uh, 26th, excuse me. Uh, so th- that's way too low. They're 23rd in opponent free throw attempt rate. All the injuries they've suffered definitely matter. It's not even just, you know, Zion, who I don't think is actually going to help their defense, which is another concern altogether, at least for this season. But Drew is just sort of, Drew Holiday sort of just getting back to himself. He had a uh, a really good game against the Blazers in, in Melo's debut, but it still looks like he's moving just a touch slower than we're used to. They've missed De- Derek Favors at points this season. You you are relying on a, a fair amount of just younger players. Uh, Lonzo Ball has been banged up. I don't think that he's been the best defender for them uh, either this season. I'm just wondering what their defensive ceiling is then. A lot of people kind of build them as, hey, maybe they'll be this ab- above-average defensive unit immediately. How much better are they going to to really get here? You know, you look to improvements like what Jackson Hayes is doing. You know, we I talk about energy with this year a little, but Jackson Hayes is is really all over the place. It comes at the expense of mistakes sometimes, but you can kind of see the the outline of a, a really good or active defender there. So I'm just interested to see how these splits kind of uh, remedy themselves or or tracking them as we go across the season to sort of see where they end up because it, it does feel like it's not just these these numbers defensively. It's just that they're in so many different areas. And if you watch them, like the, the rotations can be all, all the way off, and it looks like some guys are, are scrambling a little little too much uh, where the weak side help isn't consistent enough for them. So I'm, I'm really, again, interested to see how their defensive progresses as the year goes on. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I, I, uh, I didn't expect their defense to be this bad, but I'm still maybe higher on them than I were before the season started, just because I think Brandon Ingram's been so much better than I expected. Um, so that they've they've been a fun watch. I don't really have a whole ton to add to that one. I think your I think your concerns are very valid there. For the Minnesota Timberwolves, they are eight and six, firmly entrenched in the Western Conference playoff picture. As we record this, my concern with them is I'm wondering just how high their offensive ceiling is with this group this season. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns is sort of this world beater, and we know that Andrew Wiggins is, is having this, I don't even know if you could call also it. Also a world beater right now. Right, and I, I don't even know if you could say <laughs> that he's having a resurgence so much as he's just born, like reborn. Again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- they are, for the season, they're 13th in offensive efficiency, which is fine. Uh, they're shooting a ton of threes, and and so you, you like to see that, but they're not making them at a particularly high clip as a team. They are 5th in three-point attempt rate, but 28th in three-point percentage. Um, they're shooting a league-worst 28.8% on wide-open threes. They're not the best finishing team around the rim. Offense is in the 21st percentile without Towns on the floor, and they're a minus 4.2 in those minutes. It's encouraging that they're in the 91st percentile offensively when Wiggins plays without Carl Anthony Towns, but there's still a, a slight net negative overall during those minutes. Can you get more consistent shooting from Teague? Can Culver just be a factor at all? Can you get better sh- shooting from Akogi, who's kind of found ways to move around on the offensive end at points, but there are going to be limitations for him if he's not going to knock down jumpers at a consistent clip. Do they have any other bigs who they can really rely on to to space the floor? And this is a concern for me because they have about a league average defense right now, and they're going to be in trouble if that regresses at all. And then we don't see their offense um, do more than hover around that same league average mark. It feels like they still have a better chance for as much as we've seen from them 
this season and, and how we might be encouraged by their their defense performance that they're 16th in points allowed per 100 possessions. They, they kind of need to stand out on the offensive end more to me if they're going to, to be a legitimate playoff team this season. Yeah, um, I think that's all fair. I hate to just agree with you, but I think that's a those are very reasonable concerns. Why would concerns. you hate I'm to agree with me? <laughs> because that makes us, um, I'm not going to say boring because we're never boring. But uh, I, And I'm also not going to pick things to disagree with you just to disagree uh, because our listeners are too smart for that. Um, I, th- I think that's a very valid concern. I'm going to throw Minnesota in this same bunch of teams, and this isn't a stretch either, that they're going to be in the mix for a playoff spot the entire season. Um, and if Wiggins can keep this up, for the entire year that they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a tough out. I see no lies in what you said there. Excuse me. There Uh, we go. (laughs) After the Minnesota Timberwolves, it's on to the Memphis Grizzlies of whom I am also in charge of. They are, they're, they're feisty five and nine as we record this. My concern for them is Jaron Jackson jr. Is there going to be a point where he makes the leap that we were all expecting this season. Maybe we were overestimating how good he could ultimately be. And he's, you know, he's shooting well from three. He's had some better games uh, in, in recent days, but he still needs to rebound better. The fouls are still a bit of an issue. He seems to disappear offensively, though that's something that I think he's done a better job of not doing over the past few games or so. Uh, that his usage percentage is lateral from last season just feels weird to me. I know you have John Morant coming in, but you also got rid of Mike Conley, and you don't look at the rest of the roster and say, look and see guys who need to finish a bunch of plays necessarily. Uh, his free throw attempt rate is down, and I guess that's okay when he's changed out so many of his looks at the rim for threes, and and maybe so then maybe that's not really uh, much of a concern. More of his made shots though are coming off assists than last year, and. I just wonder if they're ever going to give him the chance to kind of branch out and create his own looks beyond the post-ups that they're going to give him. The flip side of that is when you see him go off the dribble, it looks unnatural, like almost in slow motion, but it's an uncomfortable slow motion. Uh, The Grizzlies are getting out in transition efficiency. Uh, Excuse me, they're getting out in transition a lot more often, but uh, he's in the 15th percentile of finishing in, in offensive efficiency. That's just that's a little concerning when you look at how the Grizzlies are playing now. And just just like I said before, the fact that we don't see that comfort level with him, not just working off the dribble from face-ups or something, but to really just be in more of an aggressive, constant aggressive offensive mode, I'm just wondering if that's a, a little worrisome. Again, it's still so early, but it, it's something to monitor because I came into this season unbelievably high on Jaron Jackson Jr., and he hasn't exactly done anything to dissuade me i'm not i'm not out on him by any means but i was so high on him coming in that this season the start to the season has been a little bit of a letdown i agree um and this is something that i'll probably track all season is the jaron jackson brandon clark comparison the thing is jaron jackson is still in, in he's in his age 20 season um so he's got plenty of time to figure all this stuff out. And it's, you know, Brandon Clark is three years older, so maybe it's not a fair comparison for me to be running all season. But Brandon Clark, per 75 possessions, tops Jaron Jackson in points, uh, blocks, steals, assists, rebounds. He leads the Grizzlies in true shooting percentage. Um, He's, you know, obviously averaging fewer fouls. Jaron Jackson's averaging 5.3 fouls per 75 possessions and 2.7 turnovers. Um, per 75 possessions. Those aren't great things, obviously. Um, I, I'm with you. I thought he would take more of a leap this season, but I, I just have to keep telling myself he's 20 years old. This is only his second season. He's going to be fine. There's there's still plenty of bright spots, but it, it does seem more like, I think the word you used was lateral, and I think I would apply that to him generally. It's been more of a lateral move this season than a breakout. So that's I, I think that's a fair concern. On to the league best Los Angeles Lakers, they are 12-2. and two. Again, the best record in the league as we record this. Same amount of losses as the Boston Celtics, though, if, if Celtics fans need to need to hear that for some reason. <laughs> it's I wouldn't say it's tough to find a concern for them. It's still their shooting for me. They're 25th in three-point attempt rate uh, and 22nd in three-point percentage 
they're under 36% on both wide open and catch and shoot threes for the season. And so you'd like to see that really come up. And for a team, you know, if, if you're offsetting that, like in a, a pretty significant way by getting to the foul line a ton, then, then maybe I get that, but they're also 25th in free throw attempt rate. So that's just something to, to kind of monitor. Uh, you, you have you, look. You're going to be so good because you have LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis. But you're going to need just supporting cast members to to shoot better from three overall. You know, Kuzma. I know he's working his way back, but he's under thirty three percent for for the year. Um, you know, the Ray John Rondo. That's trade, probably not far off his career percentage either, right? No, it's not. It's like right there. It's higher than last year, but lower than his rookie season. Uh, Danny Green's been fine in the time that Rondo's played. He's been more of a a spacing liability than normal. Quinn Cook's at 32.1%. Contavious Caldwell-Pope is 33.3%. Alex Caruso is 31%. Avery Bradley, after a solid start from beyond the arc, is below 29%. Anthony Davis himself is below 30%. So that's just, they're going to need guys to hit more shots from from beyond the arc. That uh, Danny Green is, and, and Jared Dudley, although he really hasn't played just 65 total minutes, they're the only players on this team shooting 35% or better from three. And that's something that the Lakers really need to, to change. They're playing so well and they're so, they're so good on defense this year that perhaps it, it really doesn't matter. And they're still fifth in offensive efficiency. And so to have a top five offense and defense, again, I don't want to underplay that. And that's why I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on time on them, but their shooting is, is something to monitor. Can guys get better or can they maybe make a, a smaller move around the trade deadline to bring in some outside reinforcements? I'm amazed that, it, I'm, I'm looking at their numbers now. Danny Green appears to be the only rotation player who's over uh, average from three, and they're 18th in the league in three-point percentage. I would have thought that would um, lead to a worse spot league-wide. I think that's that's clearly the concern for this team. Um, did you did you realize that Jared Dudley's four for four from three? He hasn't missed a three this season. Maybe they should just play him. He'll never miss. Yeah, he's perfect in 65 minutes of action. Go him. I actually, I almost have had the wrong note written down. I think when I was doing the research on this, uh, they were 22nd. And so that must have moved after their, um, their win there's over a, the Thunder. There's a, so good for them. They're 34.2%. And there's one, two, three, four teams below them that are at 34.1. So it's a very uh, precarious 18th okay. place. Um, but still, like <laughs> Danny Green, uh, a lot of heavy lifting there for him. Um as a three-point shooter, and and you're right, they're going to need at least one or two more guys to get a little bit better. I think a team that was kind of hard to to find a weakness for was the Los Angeles Clippers, who, as we record this, we've yet to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard play together yeah. this season. For anyone who's wondering, but the Clippers are still nine and five, and so that's probably when you look at the injuries they've dealt with, even with Patrick Beverly being a little banged up, that's probably more encouraging than not. I I hate to like. Um, to, to focus on this part of it. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of my just defensive questions are kind of going to uh, resolve themselves when you have Kawhi and Paul George playing together. But this team allows a, a lot of corner threes. Their three-point defense hasn't been great. They're not forcing many turnovers, but they send their opponents to the line a, a bunch. They're, you know, 15th in turnover rate, opponent turnover rate, which is fine, but they're 22nd in free throw attempt rate. And so you just, you look at their personnel and you might think that there, there wouldn't be, it would be one or the other where you could, I would expect them to just rank highly in in both. Um, But if they're going to have a low opponent turnover rate, you'd expect them to just be better at not sending guys to the free throw line. And and so maybe that's something to monitor. Um, The other thing though, and this is just my, my lack of, options for weaknesses I couldn't really commit to one is that they do have some rotation players who they absolutely positively need uh to to shoot better from three and this mind you I I say this when they're shooting better than 40 percent on wide open threes but uh you know they've had nice I don't want to say surprises but Paul George has been shooting well from three since in in his uh few games since return Jermichael Green and Patrick Patterson have by and large hit their threes I was a little concerned with Landry Shamit before his injury, but he was still shooting close to close to league average, if not a little bit above it from three. Leonard, however, under twenty nine percent. I know he takes a ton of difficult looks, but that's still very much low for him. Patrick Beverly's under twenty percent from three this year. Lou Williams is under thirty three percent 
from three this season. And so Mo, Mo Harquist as well, under 28%. Those are just, th- those are other things to monitor. I think with them, you can probably argue that their uh, shooting woes from beyond the arc might fix themselves more so than we could say that about the Lakers. But it was still, those are the two things that surprised me where uh, just their, I thought their, their defense has not been terrible, but I, I think it has the room to get better. And then uh, the, the way that some of their key players are, are hitting their three-pointers right now are, are borderline red flags to me. Do you have any concern about Kawhi's health generally? I was going to use that, but it felt like a cop-out as well. Uh, But, you know, I think we can kind of maybe the yells at clouds crowd can maybe get away from the the load management arguments now because there's clearly something wrong with him. And the load management's a larger discussion. I understand my fans are disappointed when, when players miss games, but the goal now is to win championships. That's how these players and these teams are, are judged. And, you know, when you look at how banged up he was, just look at, he played, even after the finals, do you remember when he was basically limping to that interview he did with Rachel Nichols and Kawhi Leonard? Uh, I was, I was just going to say, he was, he was like laboring throughout the finals. It, it might've even started in the Eastern conference finals. So there's, there's clearly some kind of long-term issue he's working with. And if, if it knocks him out for the playoffs, I think the Clippers are in, pretty big trouble but I, I think you're right it's hard to it's hard to find a real gripe with the Clippers until we see them at full strength um, my only question is how often are we going to see that yeah I'm with you I'm with you there 100% all right Houston um, another one that's actually kind of hard to <laughs> nitpick right now they've um, you know, I, I figured the Westbrook Harden pairing would take some time to gel and it seems like it took them like three or four games um, they've been fantastic. Harden's averaging almost 40 points per game. Um, just, just ridiculous so far this season. Um, Clint Capella has been good. I, I think, you know, Westbrook's efficiency is always going to be a concern. His true shooting percentage is actually lower than it was last season. Um, as difficult as that may be to believe. And I think he's shooting something like, you know, close to 20% on threes on five or six attempts a game. Not great. Um, but I think generally speaking, that pairing is working. I think Westbrook's giving him a nice change of pace. I'm I'm concerned about Eric Gordon, um, who I think has has always sort of I think he's been important for Houston, but maybe not quite as good as his reputation suggests. Uh, over the last four seasons, which is his time in Houston, he's 281st out of 350 players in box plus minus. His relative true shooting percentage is 0.2. Um, so he's, he's 0.2 better than average, and he's 0.4 better than average on threes. Um, so so slightly above average. But this season, before the surgery, he was terrible. And, I you know, maybe it's the injury that he was dealing with that was making him terrible. But I, I think if they're going to be legit title contenders, they're going to need another guy who can step up and provide some some positive, efficient offense in the postseason they I I don't have huge worries about Capella or Westbrook although Westbrook has a knack for shooting people out of games in the playoffs Um, I think Eric Gordon's gonna have to be he's he's just gonna have to be good for them to uh, be a a legit title contender and I'm I'm not sure he's gonna be that by the playoffs that's perfectly fair and I mean you know when you factor in how much time he's going to miss. What is he going to look like when he comes back? He had basically yeah. one good game before then. Now he's out forever. The, my concern for them though, really quickly would be, are they've, they've separated themselves more from their opponent in the Westbrook Harden minutes where it seemed like they were only a slight net plus during those. They're now uh, scoring opponents by almost eight points per hundred possessions in that time. They were minus 13.5 points per hundred possessions when Russ plays without Harden. And I think you're going to you need to win those minutes, not and definitely not lose them so decisively because that's yeah. part of the reason why you wanted Westbrook here over Chris Paul was because he's supposed to give you better availability and then be able to help you navigate those stretches without Harden at least just as well as Chris Paul was. I wonder if he will have one of those games, and I, I think that's that's a good thing to point out. Um, I wonder if he help he will have one of those games in the playoffs where he shoots like thirty five or forty times. It'll be really interesting to see. Um, Golden State, this another team. They're kind of like Oklahoma City. I don't, I don't really know what you expect <laughs> at this point out of Golden State. Maybe you just want to see some positive signs from Eric Pascal and Jordan Poole and, and the rest of the youngsters. Um, but my concern for them is, is the window just shut now? Um, 
the here's the age that all the stars are going to be next season. Curry, 32. Clay, 30, and coming off a torn ACL. And Draymond Green, 30. And he, you know, there, there's been talk about him for two or three years now. What happens to him when his athleticism slips a little bit? And he was never, like, one of the peak athletes in the NBA. But um, I think it's fair to wonder what happens to his defensive prowess if he loses half a step or, or even a full step. Um it's it's crazy how fleeting success can be in the NBA. For five years, they were just a foregone conclusion. Um, and at the start of those five years, I think a lot of us thought, well, they're going to be they're going to be a dominant team for the rest of the decade. And all of a sudden, they're just not. And I I have no idea what they're going to be next season. Even if all three of those guys are back and healthy, um, I I just don't know if they're ever going to compete for a title again. That is beyond fair to note. That I think that has to be the concern is because this season is kind of a wash, and you could be concerned about all the injuries because it seems you know Draymond Green uh, banged up. He was injured as we're recording this the night after. He was injured last night, and he came back in the game, but uh, against the Grizzlies. But he he's been banged up already. D'Angelo Russell's out. Curry's out. Like you go through the list, even Kavon Looney. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. I tend to be a little bit more bullish on them when they're at full strength. But as someone who picked them to make the playoffs this year, I feel like I don't really have a right to to count to contradict you there. But I, I do think it's a fair concern: is what what will this team be even when it's at full strength next season? It's tough to get a feel for it, even when you have a guy like Eric Pascal playing like a standout. Because how's that going to translate yeah. to a good team? I'm I'm here for Alec Burks taking a ton of shots, though. That's going to be fun for the rest of the season. Um. Denver, my concern for them is the same one that I uh, have with the Utah Jazz, and it's their shot selection. They are 27th in the league in three-point attempt rate right now. They are third in field goal attempts per game from the paint non-restricted area. Um, And in that, I I wrote an article about the Jazz. I think you mentioned it earlier. I dubbed that the zone where possessions go to die. Um, Because even the teams that are really good from there, like a good percentage – in the paint non-restricted area is like 40, 40%. So you're getting 0.8 points per shot from there. And Denver's below 40% and they're taking way too many shots in that area. I think this is a team, um, they're tailor made for this like threes or shots at the rim approach. And I think it's fine to mix in the occasional mid ranger to kind of soften up the defense right there. Um, but I, (laughs) The floaters are just, I, I don't get it. I don't get why so many teams are after that shot. And maybe they're not after it. Maybe that's just where they, they end up. But Denver needs to improve their shot selection. they got to take more threes. they got to cut out some of these floaters. Um, and they'll be better offensively. They have a lot of offensive talent. Um, there's, there's no reason for them to be where they are offensively. I haven't looked up their rank in a little bit. Do you have that handy? I'm going to try to pull up cleaning the glass real quick. Hold on. If you don't have it, live live podcasting, they, looking up numbers. They are. If I could hit the mute, unmute button quicker, we'd have it. It was seventeenth in offensive efficiency right now per cleaning. They the should they should be better than that, um, based on the the offensive talent that they have. They've got Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, um, a bunch of good offensive players. They should be better than than seventeenth, and I think shot selection is a big part of that. They are also twentieth uh, in half court offensive efficiency, which. I, I would think you have enough talent to be a lot better yeah. than that too. Where your your half court offense should certainly be certainly be decidedly better than the Charlotte Hornets's. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent true. So they they got to figure out shot selection um, at some point this season because talent wise, they they should be I think at least a top ten offense. Two or three years ago, that was what made them competitive was offense, and I think you know shout out to them for figuring out some of their defensive woes, but I think an identity for Denver, uh, one of those teams at altitude has always got to be scoring points, uh, run teams out of the gym, uh, at that, that high altitude gym, um, Dallas, my concern for them is Chris Dapps Porzingis. I, this is probably not an unexpected one. Um, he is 15th in the NBA in total post-ups right now. He's posting, he's, he's using possessions out of the post about three times per game. He's 10 of 30 on these post-ups, 0.58 points per possession, which is in the 11th percentile. And he's turning it over 14% of the time. Um, have you watched the Mavericks much this year? I have watched a ton of the Mavericks. 
they've, <laughs> I think most analysts would probably have that answer. They've, they've been so fun to watch. The obvious reason is Luca, but it's a real head scratcher what they're doing with Porzingis because the post-ups, as soon as it goes in there, you just feel like the possession is done um, and, and not the, in a good way. The rest of the time, he's kind of just meandering around out there where you have other, where it's Klebo or pa- Powell setting a ball screen for Doncic and then Porzingis is basically just complimenting to play yeah which is that's part of why he's supposed to be valuable is to stretch the floor but it, to see him kind of and look it's early but it does kind of feel like he's been like haphazardly if minimally like used when he's on the court sort of it, I don't, it's it's just weird it feels it still feels off i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah i think that's a good way to put it um something is off and i and i think one of the first things they could do is just crumble up those post-ups and throw them in the garbage and and never go back to them um, because <laughs> even the really, really good post players, it's, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, like you can be a great post-up player and it's still not efficient relative to league average. And I think if you have one of those guys, it's important to go there a few times. Same thing I just said about mid-range a few minutes ago, you keep the defense honest. Maybe you can attract a double team in the post and open some things up on the three-point line. Um, but Porzingis just isn't one of those guys right now. One thing I've seen him do occasionally that I would be fine with is sometimes he'll catch it in the post and just immediately turn around and shoot it. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, most of his matchups are going to be five, six, maybe even more than that, inches shorter than he is. So he should be able to just turn and shoot. Um, it's when he tries to back down or do something a little bit more creative that it that it gets to be a problem. Um, but if he's got a mismatch in the post and he thinks he can just turn around and shoot it over him, fine. Uh, go ahead and do that. But these grinded out post ups, I just I don't think they're the way to go for Dallas, uh, especially when you've got <laughs> Luca there on the outside. Who you know you could that that post up possession could easily be swapped out for a Luca pick and roll, um, and maybe you don't want to become too predictable. But uh, I, I think most teams know that's coming anyway, and they're still not stopping it. So the the general thing here is I'm just a little bit concerned about Kristaps Porzingis and then more specifically about the post-ups. Oh, and you should really quick before you move on, you should absolutely be concerned about that because I, I think it's been overshadowed because the Mavs bench by and large has been so good. Uh, but yeah. uh, Porzingis without Doncic minutes have been fewer than you would expect, and they've been terrible. Uh, they're minus five point differential per 100 possessions when he plays without and they seem hesitant to go to it. They played uh, outside of per cleaning the glass. They played ten possessions with Porzingis on the floor without Doncic in that victory over the Spurs. So that's and, something uh, to keep in mind. Doncic without Porzingis has been really good too. Right. Um, before we before I wrap it up real quick, his net rating swing on cleaning the glass. So um, difference in the team's net points per hundred possessions when he's on or off the floor. Minus 19.1 for Perzingis, which ranks him in the third percentile. Um, the only qualified players with a worse swing than his are Matisse Teibel, Bryn Forbes, Markeith Morris, Cam Reddish, Jeremy Grant, Ersan Ilyasova, Cameron Johnson, Malik Beasley, and Thomas Bryant. Um, a lot of a lot of like decent players in that list. So that, that number will probably even out for Jeremy a lot of those Grant guys. Jeremy Grant surprises me. Yeah, that one is surprising to me too. Millsap has been fantastic this season, and the Denver bench um, has struggled a little bit, so maybe he's playing with a lot of those bench guys. But I think Porzingis will get better. Um, I think that number will level off a little bit. They'll figure out the Luca Porzingis chemistry, I think, to some extent at a certain point. But right now, it is it's not going great um, on the Porzingis front. So. Now that we have powered through all 15 teams in one episode, look at us. We, in we under pulled an it hour. Off. <laughs> we pulled it off. Um, if you have any concerns about any of these Western Conference teams or you think we are uh, wrong to be concerned about the things that we identified, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. Uh, Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods. The sponsor at NBA underscore math. Um, as always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We are thinking about doing a mailbag episode here pretty soon where we solicit the mailbag questions as Apple Podcast reviews. 
Uh, so if you've made it to this point in the episode, you can you can get ahead of the rush and get your uh, question in there now. Um, just just leave us a question for the next NBA mailbag, and that's where we'll probably pull them from. Um, and not we, probably, how about we, we, we promise to answer any questions that are posted in the there you go. section? Yeah, good good call. Because some of the Twitter ones do get um, left behind. There there's sometimes we just get too many. Anyway, <clears throat> um, as always. Before we leave, we leave you with the shout-out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.